Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, here for another conversation about school life and leadership. Uh, I'm, I'm joined today by a very special guest, uh, Dana Gage. Dana, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about several things about the connection between classical education, classical schools, and, and the life of the church. And you recently wrote an article for the Circe website entitled Neglecting the House of God, uh, question mark at the end. And um, it, it resonated with me uh, on a lot of different levels. Um, one, because I'm both a pastor and uh, involved in classical education. And so when I read it, I immediately wanted to have you on the show to, to talk about it. So uh, thank you for the article. Thanks for, for joining me to talk a little bit about it. Um, before we get to that, though, let's uh, get you introduced to the whole audience here. So, so Dana, if you will, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, sure. I'm a homeschool mom in New York City. We moved here about seven years ago because my husband is a pastor of Brooklyn Baptist Church. It's a very descriptive name that we have. <laughs> we have three kids. They're in fifth, ninth, and 11th grade now. And we live in a really unique neighborhood. It's called Sunset Park. If you're familiar with Brooklyn at all, um, it's a very ethnic neighborhood and it's predominantly Asian and Hispanic, but our church has people from all over the world. So we have people in our church from uh, China, India, Uzbekistan, Nigeria. So it's a really neat experience wow. to with all these people every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been in Brooklyn for seven years, seven years. right? Um, so we, we have a lot of homeschool parents who listen to the podcast and, and, and are a real blessing to Cersei. Uh, it's a big part of our audience. And, and it, homeschooling is a tall order anywhere. Um, I mean, my, my wife and I are, we're in a pretty rural town in North Carolina. Um, and homeschooling is still a tall order, right? <laughs> even, even there. Um, so what is it like homeschooling in Brooklyn? 
Are there, are there, you know, unique challenges that you face there? Really, really the biggest challenge is that there are so few homeschoolers. Hmm. So we don't have co-ops and things like that. Uh, But my son actually plays basketball at the YMCA every day. And when he tells the kids he homeschools, they don't believe him. (laughs) They've never heard of it. (laughs) Right. right. That's that's not really a thing, is it? You're making that up. (laughs) So it's just, it's just very rare. So we don't have a lot of other things, but on the other hand, we have New York city. Yeah. That has a lot of Oh, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of resources. Um, you can, you can have some comparatively elaborate field trips where you are, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I I guess one of the big challenges then is that homeschooling is, is really unusual where you are, right? Okay. A lot of people, when they have kids, I mean, you think about who moves to New York city, it's young professionals a lot of times. So Mm -hmm. they have kids or the kids get a little older, they move out of the city. Right. In our church. Um, so school age kids are are just not as common. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Whereas where we are and, you know, different parts of the country, uh, and different parts of the world, homeschooling is, is a viable option. It's, it's, you know, relatively common. Uh, so, so there, I guess you're a bit of an oddity, not, not in a bad way, but a bit of an, bit of an oddity where you are. Um, now, so you're, you're homeschooling now and you and your family are in Brooklyn now, but in the article, um, you mentioned that before homeschooling, you were a teacher at a classical school mm-hmm. and it was then that, uh, I at least correct me if I'm, if I'm reading it, uh, wrongly, but it was then that you began to notice a, a kind of contrast between what was going on in, in the classical school in the classical education world, if you will, and the church. Um, can you tell, tell us a little bit about that contrast that you noticed? What were you seeing? Um, well, this probably started back in Nashville. I had my husband in Nashville before that. Uh, first of all, he was a chaplain in the Air Force, so we moved around mm-hmm. a little bit. But when our kids were ready for school, we moved to Nashville. He was pastoring a church there, and we actually started a classical school there in Nashville. And it was very exciting because another school, a large school was closing down and they gave us their 35 acre property. Wow. You can imagine all the excitement that was going on. And it, it was wonderful. We saw God doing things um, mm-hmm. and we were very excited, but we were there sort of to revitalize a church and everyone's very excited about the school, but not very excited about the church. <laughs> so that tension was yeah. already starting there. And, and that's part of the reason why we ended up in New York city. But I always felt kind of pulled between that. You know, my husband is is all in for the church, but I'm more interested in classical education. I mean, and he was too, but there was some yeah. change in there. And then when we moved to Manhattan, we moved to Brooklyn. My, we were all going to school in Manhattan. And there's a great classical school there. Mm-hmm. Um, it only goes to eighth grade right now. And that's part of the reason why we're homeschooling. But even at the school... I felt so pulled away from everything going on at church hmm. because there's so many things going on at school and after school and even the excitement there of learning, you know, classical ed was still developing. So there's so much excitement going on. And then you go to church and that excitement sometimes just isn't there. Hmm. You know, the hmm. vision, the vision for church and you don't really see the benefits of it yeah. as, as quickly as you do at a school. And then I think, I mean, to answer your question about the contrast, a lot of things compared to a class, a good classical school, 
a church just can seem so shallow from, I mean, there's a reason the Babylon B is so popular. <laughs> Sometimes you right. can't tell the difference. You know, you don't even know if it's a joke or not. Is this real yeah. or is this actually, you know, is this a joke? Um, from the music to the Bible studies to, you know, the Instagram post, it seems very shallow. And the school has a lot of respect for the past. It's trying to conform to a standard outside of itself. And it seems like the church is trying to do the opposite and be very edgy. Hmm. anything but old-fashioned and traditional so it seems like they're going in different directions sometimes right right um there was a example that you used in the article that um i mean there there's a, a seemed to be a bit of humor to it but also just a really good a good contrast um so i'll, I'll just read this is very early in the article um, you wrote children who grew up in church, even those who attend Sunday school and the youth group and youth group faithfully will likely go to college and find themselves biblically illiterate, which again, speaking in generalizations, of course, I think that's a real threat. Um, and then you said at the classical school or, and I'm inserting here in mm-hmm. or homeschool, um, at a classical school, on the other hand, a child can learn a good catechism, study the Bible on a timeline, read the church fathers, and practice apologetics. Instead of Father Abraham or and oceans, students learn to sing ancient hymns in Latin. Um, first of all, how dare you go after Father Abraham? Um, <laughs> that we is that in our children's church, right? Um, but it's it's a good contrast um, when when you see uh, the sort of the depth of things that, that can be covered in a good classical school or homeschool. And then what's going on in, in churches there, there is a pretty stark contrast. And, and, and I don't know how far across the board this is. I mean, I'm speaking as, as a uh, evangelical Protestant and, you know, um, you're in a, in a Baptist church. uh, So, you know, I guess we can, speak a little bit more authoritatively in the, in the traditions that we're a part of, but I do think this is a big problem across the board. Um, so why do you think that gap exists between what's being done in, in churches and what's being done uh, by classical educators and in classical schools? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of answers to that, but one of them I think comes from a book I read about 15 years ago, probably it was called, um, no place for truth by David Wells. Hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Um, but in that book, he talks about the vanishing of theology in general in the church and why it's missing. And one of the reasons he gets for that is he says that Americans see themselves primarily as consumers. That's really our fundamental identity. You know, at mm-hmm. our core, we think that we're consumers, that we're out there to shop for something, and that churchgoers are the same way. Um, so even if you know, even if we want to separate ourselves from the prosperity gospel, which you know we probably do, we still mm-hmm. go to church for what we can get out of it. And right. if, if, if we do that all the time, then of course the people running the church are going to have to say, "What do these people want? What do they think they need?" And that's what we're going to give them. So if we keep doing that, um, things, that's how things become so shallow mm-hmm. you know, where a school doesn't have to do that. Hmm. Um, now I think, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that, um, that we do see ourselves as 
consumers, or actually maybe the bigger problem is we don't see ourselves as consumers. We're not even aware of it as a problem, right? And if you look at movements in like the the church growth type movement, emergent church church kind of movement, um, you do see that tendency, right? There's always the the next gimmick, the next big thing. Um, what can we do to get people here? And uh, it is kind of a principle of what whatever it is that you use to draw people in is is sort of you have to do more of that to keep them, right? Mm-hmm. And so with so many churches, and I know this differs in different parts of the country, but by and large, in a lot of the United States, there are just, there's so many churches. So uh, it does become this kind of business model. You know, people, people choose a church the same way that they might choose a grocery store, you know, um, you know, (laughs) uh, who makes it easier for me, who has the most stuff, you know? And and so I, I think that that's, I think that's true. One thing though, do you think that it's possible that it seems to me that that it's possible that schools might be tempted to do this as well? Now, I, our family we homeschool right now, but uh, I was um, I have worked in classical schools, and um, you're in the same boat. You homeschool now, but we're in a classical school. It seems like that consumer mentality could be a tendency for the school too, right? Uh, to to oh, gain sure. students, build enrollment. Yeah. And it seems like it is creeping in in some schools. I'm sure, that can creep in. Yeah. But you're targeting you're targeting a certain kind of person. Where churches are more broad, you know, in a school you're you're paying mm-hmm. for something, and a church and school are different. So, a school you can look at school as a consumer in some ways. Yeah, are you giving me what I want? You know, where church isn't supposed to be like that. Um. Right. Right. It's not supposed to be. Um. <laughs> and and. And schools as well um, have to have to battle that pull to sort of water down their identity or abandon their vocation, you know, in because of those kinds of demands. Now, very early in the article, you you observed that, and you're sort of being a bit autobiographical at the very beginning. Um, you observed that the school has replaced the church as the center of the family's life. And that's a really powerful observation. Uh, so walk us through what you meant by that, um, how you first came to sort of notice that. Well, a lot of that is, of course, my own experience. But what I think it's the experience of a lot of, lot of other evangelicals. I grew up in a church, and I don't want to use the word literally <laughs> too much, but I literally grew up in this church. I think I was in that building more than I was in my house. <laughs> uh, especially during waking hours. Yeah. And the school was a ministry of the church. So mm-hmm. I never felt any kind of pull to athletic events or really anything. Um, so it really wasn't a temptation. But m- my whole life revolved around this church and what the church was doing. Even yeah. as a teen, I remember my parents didn't want me to get a part-time job like everyone else because they said, um, if you get a part-time job, you'll end up working, missing Wednesday night, missing youth group, missing church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, I, I share that just to show how important it was for all of us to be at church. You know, whenever the doors were open, we were there. Right. And it's not just, you know, it's not just school kids. The stats are out. People are missing church now. I mean, I think I saw a statistic recently that even churchgoers are usually there 
twice a month. Hmm. You know, if you look at your average church attendance and in New York, that's, it's, it's really more than that. We have people traveling a lot, of course. Um, you know, they're not from here, so they're going to visit their family or they're traveling for work. Mm-hmm. So people are missing church a lot. But I think for, for families with students, it's just really easy for the school calendar to take over. And that happened to me. So we were going to Manhattan every day. We're commuting a couple hours. I have three kids. Wow. We don't even go to the same campus. So we have, they're all over the place. And we're trying to find them all, get them all home. Of course, we have music lessons after school and sports things going on. And it just took over my life. And church was always getting in the way. Mm. So, you know, I think, oh, I can rest on Saturday. Oh, no, we have this church event. <laughs> I think, oh, right. no, why do I have to do that? <laughs> so it was always getting in the way for me. So I, I understand what happens. Um, and that wasn't the school's fault. It wasn't Serge's fault. That was, that was my fault for letting that drive our schedule. You know, that was me not prioritizing correctly. And that's easy to do just to do whatever comes at you just to be active to whatever's going on. But I think we've all seen that happen with people with, with school things. And, you know, it's not like like you even try to hide it anymore. We'll we'll be at church on Sunday. If it rains and our soccer game is canceled, we'll be there. No, it's a very simple thing now to, be at church if nothing else is going on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it becomes everything else is an obligation, you know, work. Um, right. And now I'm getting, <laughs> I'm speaking more as a pastor now that I am a classical educator yeah. here, but um, you know, work and school are obligations, right? You, you have to be there. You have to be there at a certain time. You have to get a certain thing done. Um, and then church, not so much. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, this is, I think, I think you're right. I've seen that as a, you know, as a teacher, as um, in, in administration as well, that, you know, school can, if you're not careful, school leaders can, can allow uh, the demands of school to really take over. Um, and, and you mentioned, I've experienced this too. Um, I, I worked in a church where we had a Christian school. And so, you know, we, we, there was a Wednesday night service or Bible study. So, we, we try not to give homework on Wednesday nights, you know, try not to give so much homework over the weekend that it, that it threatened church attendance. Um, sports schedules didn't interfere with Sundays or Wednesdays. And, you know, so, um, that was, that was a little bit easier. I mean, um, the expectations of the church or, uh, the schedule of the church was given priority. Whereas now that that's not so much the case, but, um, going even beyond the typical school schedule, which really, um, I'm going to go beyond what you said. And so that if it gets me in trouble, it'll just be me and not you. Um, but our whole culture is really built around a school schedule now, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, I mean, from vacations and holidays and, you know, everything, right. but, um, but I would, I would say that this, this can be a temptation even for, but for different reasons for classical educators, for homeschoolers, for classical schooling families. And it's not just the schedule. There's another part to this that, um, that is, uh, that is, that is significant in, in classical education, we are trying to cultivate wisdom and virtue. We're, we're reading great books. We're learning great music. We're wrestling with great ideas. There's a very 
there's a high standard, a, a good kind of rigor to it, if that's the word. Um, and so there's sort of a, a different feel. They're being called back to something, a rich heritage. And, but, what you, but what you described um, in, in the article is that there's a, again, speaking in very general terms, making that qualification, of course, but um, there is a tendency in broad sections of the church to be somewhat shallow. Um, so there's that tension there too that I've noticed uh, where classical educators can be, and including homeschoolers, can be pulled away from the church community because they see what they're doing in their schooling as being more worth their time or more valuable. Right. That's where I was for sure. Yeah. So with all of this in mind between the the schedule demands and this kind of kind of gap in what you're learning or what you're being exposed to i mean is is this a reason to just you know give up on the church what what should what should we do in response to this trend i mean as you know is the answer just kind of you know throw up our hands and lament the condition of the church <laughs> you know um what should what should be done um well, I mean, this was very personal for me because after leaving yeah. my school in Nashville, then um, my husband really wanted me to stop working at the school because I was gone all the time and tired and et cetera. The commuting, yeah. commuting is really hard um, for New Yorkers. Right. And he really wanted my help. So it was very practical and I wasn't very excited about it. So I had to rethink through it myself. And mm you know, well, first of all, just on a practical level, it's a bad long-term strategy because if you think about who started your classical school or that co-op group, it was probably some people who are very committed to the local church. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where those people come from. <laughs> the, the church grows these people and then, and then they go out and do things like this. So even the fact that they're not technically connected, the church and the school, they actually are and it's kind of illusion that they're not actually connected because the church and the school need each other. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should think about that connection a little more, how, how they're helping each other. They seem very disconnected um, right now, but on another level, maybe more importantly, I've been reading the old Testament a lot this year and thinking about what it means to worship God and what's happening on Sunday is very different than what's happening in the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. So you're not really worshiping. I mean, even though all of life is worshiping, it's not really worship like Sunday is. So, and, and there's a couple things about worship. And one is that God really wants to be prioritized. He doesn't like to be worshiped along with everything else, you know, or get, get second place. You know, if you read the old Testament, you see that very starkly. You don't want to do that. Right. Um, So you are worshiping God by making him a priority. And, Worship in the Old Testament often goes with sacrifice. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the old, the high priest atoning for your sins. We don't have to do that. But a lot of times people want to honor God by sacrificing to him and they bring him their best things. And it's like they're not acknowledging that God has given them everything. Everything is a gift for them. So they're bringing their best things to him. You know, you see Solomon making all these sacrifices when when he builds the temple. So you are sacrificing, whether you're sacrificing your time 
or that sports game, you, in a way you're making a sacrifice to God when you, when you come to church on Sunday and you're saying, God is worth it. He's more important and you're putting him first. I love that story. I can't remember which prophet it was, but the prophet calls the people out for bringing their diseased sheep. They're blind and <laughs> sheep to sacrifice. You right. know, that, that is what I do. I'm, you know, I'm giving God the things that I, that are left over, things I don't really need. Mm-hmm. And it's really an act of faith because you're saying, I, I think that you, I'm going to put more faith in you than I am in all these things that are going to look good on my kid's resume and these mm-hmm. things that I enjoy and that are good things. They're good things. They're not terrible things. But you you can make that a sacrifice to God. I'm going to sacrifice yeah. these things. I'm going to make you first. And I love the story. Eric Little is one of my favorite people because it's it's kind of like he he stands in the room all the time judging you. <laughs> because Eric Little, you know, missed the Olympics. So what are you giving up that compares to that? Right. Know? Yeah. Well, and it is possible though to in a sense, corrupt good things, right? Um, a lot of people have used really good things to really bad ends. You know, you can you can make an idol out of something that in and of itself is could be good. Um, but, you know, we, we never have permission to give up on the church, right? You, you right. never... You never have permission or excuse to um, abandon the body of Christ, um, and this is something that um, your your article got me thinking about. And I, I had uh, I had never really uh, put it all together the way that you did, and, and um, but I would notice those things that you know where we talk so much about cultivating wisdom and virtue and mm-hmm. um, all of these very noble noble aims that the calling of classical education pulls us to, but how do you cultivate wisdom and virtue apart from Christ? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you can't, Uh, Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our virtue. So, so we can't, we can't give up on, on the church, right. That um, it has to be, it has to take precedent for us. Um, but there's still this awareness, and I think it's a good observation that there is a difference for whatever reason in in the feel and the aim um, and and the the kinds of discussions even that are being had in a lot of classical schools and homeschools versus what's going on in a lot of churches. And we, I mean, I wish we had time to talk about all of the potential reasons for that. I, I think right. that there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, in, in schools, students are there six hours a day or, you know, give or take sometimes more, you know, sometimes less. Um, whereas the church essentially has, um, a few hours a week, maybe, you know, <laughs> um, Maybe. And so, yeah, so I think there's something to be said for that too. There's something to be said for the fact that um, individual congregations, it, it is different. It's not a school, so there's not homework. There's not assignments in the same way and uh, those sorts of requirements. And you're ministering to a, a broader demographic of people, a broader range of people, of course. But all of those qualifications understood um, 
there there is still this responsibility then to um to the church so what what can the church do to to bridge that gap in your opinion i mean what what can be done to to improve this kind of problem and uh, whether that's the church itself or or the people in the church what are your thoughts on this well i wish that the the church hadn't again we're, we're speaking so generally here but in many ways i feel like the church gave up on on education mm. a lot of them had had schools and had so much trouble when we were starting the school in nashville someone said i wouldn't wish a school on my my worst enemy <laughs> They are a huge, they're they're a headache and they cause trouble, but they're, they're very important. And my, my principal, the the school that I grew up in encouraged us to do it and said, yeah, it is a lot of trouble, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. But I think for, for me in this situation, I decided to put my energies into the church. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, I didn't like Sunday school, so I decided to change it. And that's what I've been working on the last couple of years, just changing Sunday school and making it better. Um, and that's really fun because we have a lot of kids, you know, some of our kids are children of immigrants and their parents may not speak English, but they do. Mm-hmm. So it's a really neat opportunity that we have here. And, you know, I've had more time to work on that. Um, and I think that people who, who are in the classical ed movement, especially teachers, should be leaders in their church. And that's mm-hmm. a good example. And then that's an opportunity to change something. You know, mm-hmm. in, in our kinds of churches, you, there's lots of opportunity for leadership mm-hmm. and to bring in new ideas and do things. So what if our classical ed people were putting their energies into the church as well? I think it would make a huge difference. Well, yeah. And it, it sounds like you're actually saying that instead of complaining about it, we should actually do something to help. Right. Take responsibility for it. That's a, that's a very novel concept. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I, and, and I know that for a lot of people, homeschooling moms and teachers, headmasters, it's an, it's a tiring work. Yeah. It's exhausting. It is at the same time. And I, I think we all know this, but we like to forget it that you are energized by serving other people. Now, yes, there has to be a time. Um, e- even Christ and the disciples got away, you know, to, to pray and, and sought quiet and so on. So I'm not discounting that, but I think that being a part of, well, let me put it this way, using, using those, the gifts and experience that you have in classical education to benefit people who don't have access or opportunity for that um, otherwise is very important. Um, one of the things that we've, we've done it at our church over the years is we do have a lot of people in our congregation who are involved in classical education, but we tried to take those elements that we saw of just wonderful things being done with students in the schools um, in classical schools and then bringing that over. So our, our children's Sunday school classes basically are, the children's catechism, they they learn the Bible in a timeline kind of fashion. We're just we're just going uh, straight through the scriptures basically, and and then putting that together on the timeline. And then we've made a children's choir, which and they're learning great hymns. And so we've kept it very simple. I mean, this is not this is the furthest thing from novel 
right? I mean, this is, this has all been done for a long, long time, but our hope is that the, the end results is that our children are going to grow up and know the faith far better than their parents do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's the hope. So I think that's great, uh, in investing back in the church, um, and, and using those cool. gifts. Yeah. Because we're doing the same thing. We just added catechisms to our Sunday school class. So they all begin with catechisms now. And mm-hmm. and we've introduced the timeline. Right. These are very simple things. They're not really hard to do. Yeah. But, you know, exciting things. I learned that at the classical school. The things I learned there, I brought mm-hmm. to the church. Yeah. So I, I think that we at the at the bottom of this really the um kind of the root of this is that we need to be thankful i mean those of us who either have received classical education or are privileged to be a part of it now you know um uh be thankful for the things that we're able to learn and the things that we're able to be to teach and to be a part of and the the great calling that that God has given, you know, for us to be, um, a, a part of, uh, cultivating wisdom and virtue and teaching these great things to our children and our students. Um, but we also need to be humble enough to, to see opportunities, um, it, rather than complaint, right. Particularly when it comes to the church. Right. I like seeing it as a gift because classical light has been a gift to us. And in that way, we need to offer back thankfulness on Sunday, you know, it's the day that we worship and we're offering back thanks for all that God has given us, you know, rather than comparing the two and complaining about the church, offering mm-hmm. back as a sacrifice. And I was uh, thinking about when I was thinking about the sacrifice idea, we think about all the things you want for your kids. And if you're a parent, you love your kids so much, you want everything from them. You don't want them to lose one opportunity. And that's natural. You love them so much. But what do you really, what do you really want for them? And what I really want for my kids is to, for them to grow up seeing me love the church mm-hmm. and for them to be a part of it. That's so important. So I don't want to sacrifice that for something lesser, even mm-hmm. if it's good for them. So this year we have an ESL program at our church, but we added a, um, um, a GED class mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people in our neighborhood who want to get their GED. And my son has been teaching the math part of that. And of course he misses a whole night of studying, you know, and gets behind. (laughs) Um, But it's so worth it because we go over there and we have this group of people who work all day in Manhattan. They barely make it seven o'clock at night and they're there till nine studying because they want to get their GED. Not a college degree. They just want to get their GED. And my son was able to see that even his, you know, his, his simple things like geometry and algebra are gifts and they're privileges that other people wish they had. And that habit of giving back, offering back something that you've been given to someone else, you know, is an experience that I'd rather him have than, than something else, something greater. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Um, and, and it's also, it's a good example though of, of uh, what we were talking about a moment ago about how you, you are energized and changed and, and you see things in a different perspective when you serve other people, right? Yeah. You become aware of things that you sometimes take for granted. And I, I think that 
we can often do that. You know, I've, I've been guilty of it. I'll just speak for myself here instead of, you know, we've had to use so many generalizations. So just speaking mm-hmm. for myself, I, I've been involved in classical education long enough to where it's easy to be bothered by all of the things that we can't do. You know, um, we're aware that we're trying to recover something that was lost. And so we have this desire to, you know, to really figure out the perfect way to do classical education. And I forget how much further along my children are, my students would be, uh, and even I am, you know, than, uh, than so many. I mean, this is a real opportunity. It's a blessing. Um, and we can, as always, we take our blessings for granted. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's a great story. I'm glad to hear that your, your son's able to be a part of that. That's wonderful. Um, I, I do, I want to say, uh, as, a and as a pastor of, you know, one congregation, I don't have the authority to make these decisions or, or maybe even I should hesitate to say this a little more, but I think it's important, um, that, that churches too begin to rethink, uh, the, the place of education in the ministry of the church. Um, that has largely been abandoned. I agree with you completely about that. Um, but uh, I, I pastor a reformed congregation, and so we do. Uh, most of the children in our church are baptized, and part of the vows that are taken by the parents and the church, the whole congregation answers back that they will help um, in the name of God to bring up the children. You know that child that's being baptized in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Of course, that primary responsibility, I mean, the parents take those vows first and then the congregation takes it back mm-hmm. to the family that, you know, we will help you in this. And I wonder how many churches have taken that vow. I mean, because it's pretty, it's a pretty traditional vow. Mm-hmm. We're not the, we didn't write that, you know, we're not, we're not the only church doing that. But how many churches are taking those vows every time someone is baptized? Every every time a child is baptized or a child is dedicated, we'll say, that kind of vow is taken. And how many churches are just right off the bat completely forgetting about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so churches really need to reconsider their role in and their responsibility for providing Christian education to their families. Um, I've even, uh, I won't go into specifics, but I know that there are, are churches that actually weave those kinds of funds into their mission budget so that if there's a family that cannot financially uh, provide a Christian education for their children, the church helps, um, you know, they're starting there in their, in their congregation, in their community. So thank you for calling back uh, attention to some of that, even though I elaborated in ways that you, did, <laughs> that you didn't in the, in the article. But no, um, I, I agree with that. And I will say, I've always thought that if you really wanted to give your child a good Christian education, you could probably do it. Even, even if you couldn't afford the classical school, you could homeschool, you could find something to do. Mm-hmm. But in New York City, that is not the case. Mm. I, I would say for a lot of people, it is impossible unless yeah. they move out of the city, they do yeah. something. So we have single parents um, from other countries. <laughs> so they really don't have a lot of options. They can't yeah. stay home. The only classical school in the only Christian classical school in all of New York City that I know of costs about $25,000 a year. Wow. So yeah. that really makes it not possible for most people 
Right. And, you know, again, there's not a homeschool co-op and a lot of people, you can't, they can't afford to, to stay here. If they're not working. Yeah. So it's really not possible. And yeah. yeah, like you said, I really wish the church would step in and, and help, help out with that. Well, and even if not, uh, even if the church was not able to provide for all of that financially, um, it's at least taking a step in the right direction to mm-hmm. to reprioritize the the time that that child does spend in the church and what they're learning during that time, mm-hmm. right? In the right. way that they're learning, so there's always there are always baby steps that can be taken in the right direction, even if um, you know, even if you you look at a at a problem and think, wow, we are we're just miles away from where we need to be. Well, the only way that you bridge a gap of many, many miles is just take a step, right? Right. So um, I, I would encourage everyone, uh, visit the the Cersei website. Um, there are always tons and tons of things on there to listen to and read. But um, in particular, let me commend um, Dana Gage's article, uh, Neglecting the House of God. Uh, well worth your time, leaves you with a lot to think about. And so Dana, thank you so much for joining me today to, to talk a little bit about it. And um, thank you for the, the work that you're doing, both um, you and your husband in the church there in Brooklyn, and of course, also the work you're doing with your own children in homeschooling. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm Brian Phillips. Thank you for tuning in to The Commons. Until next time. Thanks for joining me. May God bless uh, the work of your hands. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.